ticks. Nobody likes them. Creepy, crawly, eight-legged, smaller than you'd expect. They find you in the woods. And of course, we know they also carry Lyme disease. That's right, the characteristic bullseye red rash. And of course, it is treatable, if you know you've got it. The problem is, many don't. Some don't get the rash. Some never see the tick. While on vacation on Martha's Vineyard, Chris Newby was bitten by an unseen tick. It changed her life forever, pulling her into an illness that no doctor seemed to be able to diagnose, and it took years to recover. She became one of 300,000 Americans who are afflicted with Lyme disease every year. But she wanted to know more. Just where did this disease come from? Would it surprise you to know that maybe, just maybe, it's part of a bug-borne bioweapons program that happened during the Cold War? Is it possible that the Lyme disease epidemic was started by a military experiment gone wrong? Welcome, all of you, to season four. I saw that there was a countdown happening. There was excitement. People may have liked the new intro claymation a little bit feels like. Um, and I did see someone was very excited about Davy and the sax. Davy, I, I feel like the sax is going to have to make, you know, a new appearance this year, don't you think? I think, yeah, I think I'm going to have to find another another sketch, another jazzy sketch to come up with. And uh, we'll play some more saxophone for you. We'll get I that going. Time. I think it's time. Yeah. yeah. Well, without further ado, the wonderful first author of season four is with us today. And it's Chris Newby. Nothing like a good pause before that explosion. <laughs> I love that. Nailed it. Black fog. Perfect. Yeah, it's it's we like to think of it as squidding, you know, just okay. given our, our squiddiness that we have. Um, by the way, y'all, I built all those new sets to look like my office. <laughs> so I figured that way the transition was a little easier. You're like, oh, I know where we are now. I know we're good. We're good. <laughs> I gave you different wallpaper, though, Davey. That's true. That's fair. I, you know what? This, this wall needs to be painted anyway. So, but the time and care. <laughs> let me tell you, peculiars. The time and care that Brandy puts into those claymation videos, it is exquisite. It is exquisite. It's so well done. Come on. It's, I was doing it in like I started this in October, and I glued. I kept gluing my fingers together, like trying to make the bookshelf, the little bookshelf. And yeah, that's not never good. Um, but let's talk about let's talk about Chris Newby and ticks because I I was uh, overwhelmed by how interesting and fascinating and upsetting this book is and I'd also read Megan O'Rourke's Invisible Kingdom she had Lyme disease as well undiagnosed and so there were two different things going on I felt like on one hand I'm like wow this terrible illness and being gas gaslighted by doctors who psychosomatic couples illness you were told at one point right but also military experiments right and i did say military experiments go wrong and christy said military experiments never go wrong and that's golly that's a ouch <laughs> you're right <laughs> um so phew what what a ride um, yeah i mean uh the, my husband and i we went to a vacation Martha's Vineyard with our two middle school boys and we were bitten by unseen ticks and it changed my life forever. I was a science writer before in mm -hmm. Silicon Valley and all of a sudden 
I became a medical science writer for survival. <laughs> I mean, just save my family, I would say. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had children to take care of. They didn't actually, they didn't get it though, right? They didn't. They were playing in the surf, so they didn't go into the squishy grass where the squishy grass hang on the top of the blades and wait for you to go by and then grab you. And yeah, no, it's it's oh, just an amazing. It's I was it was I was super impressed. Um, usually, we start the show by me saying, "What gave you the idea for the book?" Kind of don't need to do that with this one. <laughs> I feel like we know. I feel like right. we know. But um, I will say this: um, it's it's definitely taken your writing in a, a slightly new direction in the sense that, you know, it's one thing to write about science as we mean science to happen. It's another thing where you have interventions that actually interrupt, like use science, but also interrupt its sort of ethical structure, you know? And I just, I wonder, um, do you find that you look at science writing differently after having written this book? I'm, I'm just curious. Well, I worked at Stanford in science writing for 10 years, and there we learned a set of rules where you don't exaggerate discoveries because mm -hmm. most things that come out of university aren't some great, like we cured cancer, just incremental right. steps. But yes, I now I look at science writing different. I mean, I feel like it was somewhat pure at Stanford, but now articles come out and I wonder, oh, you know, is this from a pharmaceutical com company? Do they have an agenda? Did they pay this freelancer to present their point of view on a drug? Right, right. Yeah. Well, and because it happens, it happens and you literally can't tell. I get um, press releases myself. So I'm also a science writer and you'll get the press releases from like, hey, look at this amazing new thing that just came out. You might want to write an article about it. And I look at it and I'm like, the person who sent it to me is also the person who is, you know, marketing it and all that kind of thing. And so even as a writer, I feel like I have to constantly be doing all this back, this background work. Um, yeah. Sadie, Sadie just said, and I guess maybe I missed this. She said, not just Chris and her husband, also your mom. Yes. Yes. She got, she was living in Northern Virginia and she got uh, a tick bite, the classic bullseye rash diagnosed mm -hmm. at the yes. Naval Hospital. It was cured with a short dose of doxy because she got it fast, but then she went to Italy and got some sort of tick sprue and she, it was a serious neurological set. We wow. don't know exactly what combination of tick-borne infection she had, but right. it eventually led to dementia. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, well, like and how much, you know, the, you raise questions, and I know that this isn't where you're going necessarily, but it raises questions, and I start to think of all the other um, illnesses, Legionnaire's disease, um, Alzheimer's, dementia, all these things, and you start wondering are there other, you know, if we start, if you really had all the facts, like how many of these are just weird natural anomalies, you know, and how many of them are happening because, because someone somewhere wanted that to happen. I mean, it's, it's, it's scary to look back now. Like I, now I look at everything after reading your book, I literally became so suspicious of everything, <laughs> you know, and of course with, with, with COVID, you already have people making those um, suggestions and comments about, things escape escaping from a lab. Um, Sonia here, she said Amy Tan had undiagnosed Lyme disease. I didn't realize that. She talks about it too. Um, I, yeah, I, spent, some of our... I spent an afternoon with Amy. Did you really? And, yeah. Um, when I worked on that documentary, Under Our Skin, which is about the politics right. of 
Lions of Lyme disease. So she is, she has a short cameo in that, but okay, she talks about the sort of dementia psychosis she had when she was in the depths of Lyme disease. She got it upstate New York. It, she had a house okay. up there and she, it was about the time 9-11 happened. And she said mm -hmm. she would see hallucinations of, of like Arab terrorists in a room. And the only way she right. feel is she'd send her dogs out and, and they, they would bark if it was real. Oh gosh. Yeah. Jeez. So, that... so it's a brain infection. Whew. A lot of the tick-borne mm -hmm. diseases are brain infections. And depending on where the inflammation is, you can behave very strangely. Yeah. It, well, and um, so I'm, I do not have Lyme disease. However, uh, I have a neurological, they thought it was epilepsy for a while. It turns out to be migraine related where um, I too have occasionally had, I, I used to have sort of seizures that would cause hallucinations. And there is something just when you know, like part of you is in your right mind going, some of that's not real. <laughs> and you, if you tell people, everyone just goes, no, you must be, you know, they, they there's such a stigma um, about your brain. There's such a stigma about anything going on with your brain. Yeah. Well, I, I think with tick-borne diseases, it depends on what pathogens were transmitted in the tick bite and then where the inflammation happens. So and then also it's a waxing and waning kind of infection. So mm -hmm. the pains and the problems will move around your body. So when you go in to see a doctor, it's just like, oh, this this is a hypochondriac. They just need right. attention. Uh, so that's the hard part about it. And we don't have good tests for it right now. The tests yeah, still first week. And then later on, it's just hit or miss whether they're accurate. Because some of the sickest people, they're... These are antibody tests. They're 30 years old. And if you have right. a compromised immune system, your antibodies might be clumped up and they won't be measured on the tests or it's so suppressed. It doesn't show up in the tests. Yeah. I'm, I'm just uh, putting up several comments here. Uh, for those of you who are on the podcast, there's been several people in the, in the feed talking about uh, tick areas. So upstate New York, um, Toronto, there's some people talking about central New York and Syracuse also having a lot of uh, ticks. And, you know, we spend time out of doors. It's, it's not easy to know exactly how to protect yourself. I'm in Ohio and we have a lot of ticks. We don't, we don't have as many of the black legged ticks, but we do have ticks. They carry disease. Yes. As a dog, <laughs> yeah, as a dog owner, I feel like this month is my, is my month. Cause we got two <laughs> kind of dog related books, but yeah, uh, we have a tick graveyard in our house. We have a medicine container filled with rubbing alcohol and it's literally, our, we come in and we pull them off the dog. If you have a dog, get the tick tornado, a good tool to twist and get them right off. Uh, but yeah, well, and of course, those it's are the tick battle you see, right? Yeah. Um, I, I put up one picture, but I actually saw, is it true that some of them are as small as poppy seeds and they can still carry the disease? Is that? Yeah, those are the nymphs. Crazy. They're yeah. Yeah. And then the, there's a new tick in town. It's the Lone Star, which is crawling northward from along the Mason-Dixon line. And they have very crude eyes on their little epaulets and they swarm. They don't just sit on a piece of grass. They swarm. Oh, nice. They that you. sounds. They can see you. Oh, uh, cause they have eyes. Oh, great. That's just what I wanted to know uh, there, Chris. I'm, you know, we're all going to sleep really well. Everyone's going to, I, if we don't end this show with all of you being kind of like itchy, then I think we've done it wrong. Um, Anthro girl said, uh, she said, I feel like Lyme isn't well understood or taken seriously by doctors. And 
you know, and lawn lime is a whole other thing that no one really pays attention to. Um, I, I was wondering, like, is there a difference between how how people talk talk or deal with, like, oh, cr- like, what do you call it? The, the first infection versus, say, you've had it for a long time. Yeah, so everybody agrees that acute Lyme, if you treat it quickly, you can get rid of it. But very few people, not very few, but maybe 50% of the people don't catch it early. They don't see the rash. It's on the back of their body or under their hairline. And and the test, like I said, in the beginning, it doesn't work in the first month when you know you can cure it. Later on, it's hit or miss, maybe as good as a coin flip, really. And a lot of people won't, a lot of physicians won't treat unless you get a positive test, not knowing right. is bad. And so that leads to a lot of people going on to get chronic Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. And, and then, like I said, the symptoms move around your body. They're just crazy. And CDC has a list of symptoms that are outdated. Right. Right. They're not, they're not actively tracking the symptoms. Plus if you have co-infections, like if you have babesiosis, which is a malaria-like disease with Lyme disease, it's a certain set of symptoms. If you have Bartonella, which makes you a little bit crazy, can cause cat scratch disease, it's a different set of symptoms. So physician, busy physicians who are busier than ever because of COVID. Uh, Obviously, yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Catherine said she got the bullseye rash, had the tick, and was still misdiagnosed because it was a Slovak tick. So the titer was equivocal. So, you know, it's even when you have all of the things and you think, aha, you know, the red, red X right there, you, you don't, you might not, you might not get what you need. Yeah. Sonia asks, do you feel that the medical world is starting to recognize that Lyme disease is more prevalent or is there still a misinformation campaign where the symptoms are dismissed? It sounds like there still is fr- from what you say about the them not really keeping up on, on symptoms or differentiations. Yeah. And the big thing is CDC was trying to suppress the numbers. I'm not hundred percent sure why, but hmm. for years they said there was only 30,000 cases somewhere between 30,000 and 300,000. Oh, wow. It's because their reporting system is so cumbersome and bureaucratic. Mm -hmm. You you go to your doctor and you get a positive test. They're supposed to send it into their county um, CDC office, and then it gets to the state level, and then it gets to the national level, and then there's just dropout along the way. Yeah, yeah. And also the test, the the bar for reporting is super high. Right. And so – about four years ago, the CDC actually got some real bioinformaticists in on it, and they got the actual records from the insurance companies, like how many people ah. say they have Lyme disease, according to their doctors. And what the, what they found, it's like nearly 500,000 cases a year. There's reported cases in every state. So every state, not, all of them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fun. But, is it in Hawaii too? Yeah, CDC's reporting is they report it where you live, not where you got it. Oh, so it's it's uh, it's hmm. one of the many problems with the way CDC has been treating Lyme disease. First of all, not very good symptoms on their website, <laughs> uh, supporting mm-hmm. a thirty-year-old old technology test that doesn't work. And it may or may yeah. And then their rules say that well, you have to be in an epidemic, endemic, epidemic, high incident state to be diagnosed with it. But if they're doing a bad job of tracking, then how do they have any idea? Then, you know. <laughs> And then the other problem is hmm. the tests only test for the East Coast version. And we've just there's discovered a- that there's West Coast versions of Lyme-like diseases that 
aren't picked up by the other. So it's, there is it makes theory. you feel like there's no, it, it sort of makes you feel a little bit hopeless, right? You feel like there's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no missing it. There's no getting away from it. Jennifer Pierce, uh, we've, we've actually been chatting back and forth about this ourselves. Um, she's had a long-term neural, neuralgia, the heck neuralgia, et cetera, for many years. Long story short, docs say likely post-viral, but nobody can figure it out. And she says she deeply empathizes with your medical journey um, and hopes you're healthy now because it, it is such a difficult thing and they don't take, you know, it, it's so hard for people to know. And it seems like a bunch of different conditions as opposed to a single one. Uh, well, it's the co-infections. There's 20 sort of diseases that can cause uh from ticks that can cause human disease. So you just don't know what mix it is. And yeah, the last 30 years, people just say, oh, it's just Lyme. And so one thing my book brought out is a bunch yeah. of freaky new tick-borne diseases showed up around 1981, which is when mm -hmm. Legionnaires showed up and around where AIDS showed up. So uh, for whatever reason, um, the discoverer said it's only Lyme disease and then everybody stopped looking in the ticks. Yeah. Interesting. So now we have, um, like now scientists have better uh, molecular analysis tools and they're saying, Oh, well, there is a lot of different diseases in ticks, <laughs> and the combination is much worse than just Lyme. And we should start looking into this. Yeah. And I, yeah, the scientists are saying it, but, you know, is there funding backing it? Is the, you know, the scientists can only do what there's funding to do. So I also wonder, do we know that they'll be able to actually look deeper at these things? We I, recently, I did an analysis of nine years of NIH funding for Lyme disease. And I was sort of shocked Andy. to find out that there's a desperate need. Well, diagnosis, we're stuck with a 30-year-old diagnosis. And so, for some right. reason, they pan they. I think they spend like 16% of the budget, the whole budget on antibody diagnosis that is just more me too of what we have now rather than using DNA and high throughput um, molecular mm -hmm. analysis tools. The most shocking thing was the current treatments that are recommended for Lyme disease have about a 30% failure rate. And, uh, and in the last nine years, the NIH has only spent less than 1% on exploring new treatments. So, so they're likely to fail, but oh well. Yeah, and then all those luck. fail treatment, they, uh, there's a huge pressure at large medical institutions not to overuse antibiotics. So they say once you've had right, right, of course. doxycycline, no more. And so those people go on to become chronically ill. Because it takes so much longer. I mean, that was the thing that I thought was really interesting is is the the one size fits all approach that seems to have been, you know, I suppose this is connected to the fact that they were like, it's just this, uh, therefore there's one approach. And I suppose that is simpler. It's just wrong. <laughs> um, simple and wrong answers, of course. Sadie Simmons points out, she says, when partnered with women's non-white cis dude medical concerns being dismissed routinely, I'm sure there are many undiagnosed cases, especially since the symptoms vary from day to day. And that was something I found really interesting, both in your book and in Megan O'Rourke's book, about how um, varied your symptoms were, even within a single person. And I was like, yours ran the gamut. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say, it starts out with straight flu-like symptoms. It would seem a lot like COVID. Crushing fatigue, headache, 
feels like there's a C clamp on the back of your Ugh. neck, uh, can be gut problems. And then we were undiagnosed for a year, my husband and I, and it was mm -hmm. the worst year ever, uh, mm. because we would go to doctor after doctor and the specialist would look at one part of your body. Oh, your gut. Right. <laughs> oh, you, yeah. Your oh, your headaches. Uh, or the infectious disease doctor, yeah. which is the worst. He said, you don't have Lyme disease. <laughs> so. That was handy. Yeah. Well, and I, the, this, the, the sort of gaslighting that ends up happening, the kind of, um, and it is very, I know that women get taken less seriously than men do frequently, but just this concept that when you go in and go, well, <laughs> everything seems to be wrong, but not all at the same time, they just look at you like you're making it up. Um, quickly, I just wanted to pop in. Anna Lopez uh, Carr is here from Santa Barbara. She's in the middle of dealing with emergency responses to California floods, but she's like, I'm listening. Um, and Anna and I have been talking a lot about these different uh, conditions as well. Long COVID, long chronic Lyme. You know, what, what do we do when people don't want to even take it seriously? And they don't want to take the infection seriously in the first place. Of course, they don't seem to want to take it seriously that you might have it chronically after the fact. Yeah, and I think the long Lyme or the long COVID situation is even worse because now my husband has both the fun mm. pack. Oh, God. The first time he went into the doctor to discuss his long COVID, I mean, he had it two years, no, no smell, no taste. And then oh. all the, the fatigue, the mm -hmm. brain fog. Brain fog, yeah. Yeah, his, his primary care, because we moved to Utah, his, his response was, well, I'll sign you up for talk therapy. Talk so, therapy. Yeah. So even though there's some, there's a bunch of off-label drugs you can try for viruses or whatever. Is, so is, is that where you, is that where you talk to the tick and, and, you know, forgive each other? Talk therapy. Wow. Um, that seems, I mean, there are psychological, obviously there are psychological issues with having chronic illness. I have a chronic illness myself and it's true. It does help to have support, but that's not, that's in a, should be in addition to treatments for the actual symptoms and, and the disease itself. How, how is he doing? I mean, he, I, he can't catch a break. Yeah. Uh, I would say we've stepped outside of the medical community. And so mm -hmm. obviously you have this uh, long COVID is inflammation of your vascular system. So you don't get adequate oxygen. And then there's this pesky spike protein that creates a lot of inflammation in your whole body. So he started doing uh, low pressure hyperbaric. So he's getting mm -hmm. more oxygen in his mm -hmm. body. Yeah. That's really helping. And then uh, various immune system IV bombs. So periodically he goes in and gets doses of vitamin C and right. Mm -hmm. And that gives his immune system boost, a boost. So I would say doing those two things. And then, uh, he was having cluster hub headaches and gabapentin and salt. So he is getting better after almost two and a half years. So that's God, that's probably. terrible. And I feel like there's going to be, there's so many of these stories, you know, um, people who have my friend who she ended up having Lyme as well. She had it for nine years before she was diagnosed. Um, and they told her, you know, for a while they thought it was a foodborne illness because it, 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 it seemed very much in her gut, but, um, but then she'd have all these other symptoms and they, you know, they basically said, well, these are psychological symptoms that you're having because you're upset about your gut. When, like they didn't realize that it was actually like 
affecting her brain and she was actually having inflammation in her brain. Um, and she wasn't diagnosed until nine years later. And at this point she's so disabled by it that, I mean, she can't, she'll, she, she, she can work, but she can't work like a regular nine to five job. She, you know, all of these different things, um, to be gaslit all that time, to go through all that expense, all that money, all the, you know, the paying for all of this medical care that doesn't end up helping. And then in the end, the answer is, well, I guess you're just disabled. You know, it's, it's a really, it just feels like they, that when you suffer from a chronic condition, especially something like Lyme disease, there's no real solution at the end. Doesn't seem like the happy ending quite ever happens the way we we'd like, we'd like everybody to go and now they're better, you know, but. Yeah. I I think the, the U S has put all their eggs in the vaccine basket and has short drift the research Mm -hmm. on, on long COVID. But the numbers are getting to be so big, they can no longer ignore it. It's actually impacting our labor force. Oh, yeah. Like, I wonder if our labor shortage, especially in the service sector, is part of this long COVID thing that we're just in denial. And we we saw the same thing with Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. It's it's inconvenient for the insurance companies because uh, it's expensive. You have to try a lot of things. Doctors are hesitant to try things that haven't been through a large randomized five. Right, of course. Yeah. Uh, and also doctors have lost their freedom to use clinical judgment. They're they have. tackled by the insurance companies and what people reverse mm-hmm. and their institutions that say, oh, don't try antibiotics because superbugs will happen when actually the largest misuse of antibiotics happens in agriculture yeah antibiotics right. live to livestock or fish farms every day right yeah yeah and of course yeah <laughs> uh kristen Meston has a question she said uh the trip through uh liking willie and or um and then getting angry about bioweapons research to forgiving him a bit after you mentioned uh the military test participation how did you choose to structure it this way because i think you're right i think she's right we all go on this like willie journey <laughs> Yeah, so Willie was the discoverer of Lyme disease. He was was heralded by NIH as this great hero. And then in the course of doing the documentary Under Her Skin, he said, he, or actually a different documentarian said, he said, yeah, I was in the bioweapons program for years and we weaponized fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes to drop them on our enemies. So I thought that was really shocking. And I went to the evil side, Willie's evil. But then, but over the course of his life, you realize he had a lot of stressors that no one realized he had a mentally ill wife, a lot of financial pressures. And in the end, he had a crisis of conscience for the things he did. When he was a young man, he was ambitious. He wanted to come to the United States. Yeah. And so, and then in the middle of the book, I find out my dad was involved with Agent Orange in Vietnam. So it just sort of made me feel like no one's black or white or black, or yeah. Bad, but people make stupid decisions sometimes in their lives. And to well, me, he came around and at least gave a partial confession of that. He yeah. thought that something when he investigated why people were getting sick in Lyme disease, Lyme, Connecticut, uh, he realized that some organism that he wouldn't name because it didn't have a name except for Swiss agent was making people sick. Maybe not just the spirochete. 
Right, right. And I think the the other the other thing, and this came up when I was working on Cold War stuff uh, for my book as well. There's so many things that there's so much sh- short sightedness, right? Um, and you have because of the Cold War, there was this race to get things done, to go. Um, well, we can't let them do it, so we're going to do it first. And you know, and, and then they tested. They tested in their own. Was it Utah? Where were they dropping? The, where was the flea rain? Where was it raining fleas? I've, That's Dugway, Utah. About yes, Utah. They were raining. I am right now. Freezing. <laughs> It's like a horrible, horrible. Uh, I can't think of a worse image than raining fleas. Like I have a real aversion to fleas anyway. Actually, fleas freak me out more than ticks because they move so damn fast. Um, but but the idea of them raining on me is just horrific. So you you realize that there there's this this idea of greater good, and then in the end there is no greater good, and you just realize you've done all. You know, many of the people realize they've done all of these things, thinking it was for something that was somehow better or, or, you know, superseded other things. And it, and it didn't. Um, a lot of people in the, uh, the atom bomb project said similar kinds of things later on. Yeah. I mean, one of the more, more moving parts in the book was when I, uh, I was shown this file from Fort Detrick, which was the headquarters of the biological weapons program. And on top of it was a yellow sticky in his distinctive writing in red pen. Cause whenever something was important, he put it in red juicy felt pen and it says I always wondered why somebody didn't do something and then I realized I was somebody so it was like open up this brown folder from the cold war and there were the, the experiments where he was trying to put plague and fleas so you could drop it from a bomblet and uh, he got special samples of extra deadly yellow fever from Trinidad called the Trinidad agent and he would just trying to mass produce millions and millions of mosquitoes and put that in it. There was a trial of those mosquitoes. I don't think they had yellow fever in them in a, a poor black community in Georgia. That's where they decided to test it. And their military people dressed up as public health people and said, Oh, do you have any mosquitoes in your house? Can you put this little trap there? Oh, geez. So it was cold war was, you know, the red threat communists, we got to yeah. get them. And so even today, when I talk to sources from that era, they still won't talk about the secret experiments because there was this loyalty oath you take. You yeah. Yeah. So. Loyalty, loyalty to stuff, but maybe yeah. not other people. Right. <laughs> um, Amanda says it seems more <clears throat> like more and more diseases are now recognized as excuse me, recurring or reactivating. I recently got diagnosed, diagnosed with reactivating Epstein-Barr virus. I, I hadn't heard that. Had, had you heard that? Has that been part of any of the, the things you've yeah. looked into? Right. Yeah. So right now I, I work half time for a nonprofit that's working on uh, hidden, persistent, invisible diseases and ones that are worsened with climate change too, like ticks. Right. Of course. Yeah. And the thing I'm hearing from the Lyme disease doctors and and people treating COVID is that a lot of these immune suppressing diseases, so we're talking about COVID and Lyme disease, they suppress your immune system and it reactivates your old infections. Yeah. Like all, Epstein-Barr, it's one of, part of the herpes family. Herpes is mm-hmm. notorious for hanging out in your neurological system. And then when you're down, it, it comes back. <laughs> We're back. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> like a bad penny. <laughs> well, crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, no, it's not good. <laughs> um, 
Now, uh, Jenna said uh, the CDC has long, been a long-running enemy of Lyme's. Also, major clinics like Mayo, so unfortunate when they're supposed to be our support system. Um, less a question, more of a comment, but I think uh, an interesting one. Yeah, I, I Mayo does have a bad rep reputation for Lyme disease. And I just mm -hmm. think they're operating on old information from the CDC and the Infectious Diseases Society of America, who, again puts all their money in the vaccine basket and are uh, vehemently anti-antibiotic because antibiotics are their line of defense against superbugs. And they feel like those antibiotics are becoming rare and rare, the ones that work. And so they're pretty much willing with Lyme disease. It's a very sophisticated bacteria. It has these little genetic strands called plasmids yeah. and Burley Burgdorferi has about 21 of them can have up to 21 of them. A normal bacteria has one to two of them. Oh. And so it's a genetic thing that yeah. lets them mutate faster. Take it great. Right. Um, Anther Girl asked, when you said that, do you mean doxycycline is a 30% failure as well? Doxycycline is not very good. There's a mm. new study out of, I think, Hopkins that says uh, doxycycline only uh, slows down the replication of Lyme disease bacteria. It doesn't kill it. Okay. And the Infectious Diseases Society of America recommends only two to four weeks of doxycycline and for one size fits all. And that doesn't cure it for a lot of people. These are, right. um, oh no, I know the, the doxycycline study is from Tulane, the primate center. So they studied um, macaque monkeys, which are very close to us and, a dismal failure rate. And a lot of times the doxycycline gets rid of it for a couple of months, but then a year later it comes back. So right. just like AIDS, it's such a, a wily organism. We need to have cocktails of antibiotics to get it in all forms. Ex exactly. It because it, because it has, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. for some reason they're not doing that. And so that's and I don't, and I, I don't know why, because we need treatment studies to show that there has not been a Lyme treatment study for 27 years. What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> More people infected every year. Chloe Rogers was just mentioning uh, about long COVID. Says trying to explain the difference in symptoms for long COVID that it, she's experienced is frustrating. How do you, how do I make you understand that the headaches, dizziness and brain fog change all the time? And I think that was I, this is why I think they go, oh, well, you're psychosomatic, right? You're making it up. Um, Jennifer Pierce says, I have also been offered and tried talk therapy for symptoms. You might be shocked to know it did not work. <laughs> surprise, yeah, talk, surprise. Yeah. Talk therapy cannot get rid of a, a like a chronic inflammatory state. Right. One right. Say, people get long COVID who have a poor personality, certain kind of personality. <laughs> Those ticks just really dig those people, right? Like they're just like yeah, you guys. That's, that's what I want to drink heavily. It's just like how <laughs> just no one's developing tests to say, do you have long line, long COVID? If we had that, then they'd believe it because we're <laughs> we're in the middle of a test-centric medical system. Yeah. Yeah. And of course. Insurance will only reimburse that doctor if they can prove a certain condition that requires a certain drug. So it's it's frustrating. Ugh. I believe I believe new studies have found that doctors are are now prescribing peculiar book club chat community therapy. That's I think that that's you, the way to get, go. Because clearly it's worth. I I hope it's helping. There's a lot. 
there's a lot going on in this chat there's a lot i know i'm having trouble keeping track of it um but that reminds me um we do we we have arrived at roughly the half point in our show tonight and normally frequently we have charming disaster as our our uh, sort of house band in a way but tonight we have someone new and these this band is called the mary lou's they are actually were introduced to us by charming disaster the band i think you guys will like them we have two sort of different songs for you tonight one is going to be right now in the middle of the show and then they actually did a kind of um freestyle peculiar song for us that we're going to close out the show with so stay with us after the close and there's going to be additional so we're going to we're going to break we have a moment we're going to listen to some music i'm going to come back there are so many more comments and questions that i haven't gotten to yet that i have to catch up with um and when we come back from music we'll also do our announcements so stay tuned Hello, Peculiars. We are the Mary Lou's. I am Razor D. Rockefeller, and this is Howl Daddy. Hello, I am Jamie Lee Curtis. That too. This next song is about falling in love with the leader of a gang of surfing werewolves. You don't want to meet the werewolves that go bowling. It's called Fang Ten. Surf 
outside while the squares are streamed. You're fast and fun with the lust for blood. You got me barking at the moon, girl. I think I'm in love. Everybody fainting. Everybody fainting. Everybody fainting. Groovy, cooly, spooky babes. Vamps and tramps, let's catch some waves. Everybody fainting. show we'll close out with a little peculiar specific they, they kept going they, they kept going there was there's more to that and you'll see it at the end of the show it's really I cool love, that's very cool i love Kristen's comment monster surf monster. rock is a genre i didn't know i needed in my life this makes me <laughs> i've never heard of that genre before <laughs> you'd be surprised the genres we yeah. actually encounter on the show there was uh uh what was the philosophy freestyle rap oh that. yeah 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 yeah. we've had freestyle was... rapping yeah a little shop not, cool. not from me or brandy not from me or brandy <laughs> yeah not from us we weren't doing it, it wasn't us. we've had punny jazz that was me punny jazz was me punny jazz was you that's right that's right um we did yes that's right the peculiar that we got a shout out in the the freestyle as well if i'm not mistaken um so getting back to some questions i missed one from sadie simon's early simmons or simon's you guys my mouth is just sadie. having problems tonight sadie um, I, I am flying to DC tomorrow at, I have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and I'm flying to DC tomorrow to record things for audible. And I'm like, great. I'm already having trouble talking. It's going to be fantastic. Um, Sadie had a question earlier that I missed and it said, did you find that the COVID conspiracy? So like the leaked, uh, from lab people, did they sort of 
try to get you roped in to talk about their cause since there's a scenario that's sort of very similar in, in the book. Well, I think they're ha they have their hands full with all the COVID. <laughs> and I'm clear of COVID conspiracy theories. Uh, so I, I, I think anti-vaxxers tried to rope me in. Oh, really? I, I believe Tell in me. vaccines, but just not so many of them. <laughs> right. So they tried to like pull you at like, ah, we have one. We're going <laughs> to. Yeah, because a lot of the things that went wrong with Lyme disease uh, were because uh, they put all their, their research dollars in the vaccine. And there was right. a vaccine that right. came out in the late 19, I mean, 1990s. And then it was pulled from the market for who knows why. But one thing <laughs> is it wasn't an economically viable vaccine in that you had to have three uh. shots the first year and then boosters. And huh. that reminds me of something. <laughs> um, though, freely, I will take all the boosters that they have. I will. I'm like, right here. Um, but yeah, I see. I see that. I've heard, I've heard tell that they're making, they're working on another Lyme vaccine. Is that true? Is that still going? Like they're still putting money towards that? They're in, they're in the middle of the big clinical trial where they have to okay. test thousands of people. So I would say I really want a good Lyme disease vaccine. Sure, and I yeah. really hope it works. But because I know so much about the mechanisms that the organism uses to evade the immune system, and there are just many ways it can, I, mm -hmm. I just am a little bit scientifically skeptical about that. But we'll see. Okay, this, is, this might be a scientifically ignorant question, but I got to ask as a dog owner, as a dog owner, right? They We give him medicine, you know, every month for flea and tick mm -hmm. that I believe kill the ticks on bite, right? I believe that's how it's designed to work. Is that is that plausible in humans? Like if, if, if we can't fight the disease, Lyme disease, can we fight the ticks? Mm -hmm. Well, there's just a higher bar for what you put in humans versus dogs. And the <laughs> I, why. I like dogs rats. more, really. Yeah. Uh, so, I, and what you put into children. So, I don't know. I, I have heard that the Elispot dog chest for dogs works on humans too. It's a saliva test. I don't know why we can't use that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of us put our dogs way, way above the humans. I was just thinking that. I was like, yeah. you know, I don't know. <laughs> I put Darwin above most humans that I know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't make light of it, but I do wonder why we're not allowed to use those things. Um, so Anthro Girl had a question following the discussion we were having earlier about, is it, are there, like we talked about, they don't pick us for personality, but are ticks attracted to certain people or certain blood types more? Um, and she was asking this question because of the the idea that mosquitoes bite certain people more than others. This, this is 100% true, Anthro Girl. I get mauled by mosquitoes. We could be sitting around a campfire You'd have two mosquito bites. I'd have thirty. I, it's unbelievable. There, there are new a new study out about mosquitoes, and they talk about yes, there are super attractor people, <laughs> a bad kind of attraction. Uh, I've been called a super attractor, yeah, no, no, many no. times in my life. You know, Davy, that makes you the absolute unit. You're you're not a chick magnet. You're a tick magnet. <laughs> tick magnet. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, but no one's and, done the study in uh, ticks on that yet. We can't get them to, to study <laughs> treatments and new tests. So. Right. This is a real tick aversion, apparently, amongst um, 
medical professionals, it seems. Uh, like Amanda Johnson was saying, it's frustrating how often medical professionals want to deny that some groups of symptoms are the result of a disease, yet they want to make completely expected symptoms of menopause into a disease. You know, like there's, there does seem to be, um, I would say, probably along gendered lines as well. Um, well or we, maybe this is a better way of asking it. Amber Girl's like, why are people terrible? Well, <laughs> covers it all. I, I, I was, I noted that Daniel Goldstein had a really good comment, and that is, oh, I've missed it. Where, yeah. He's had a couple. He's it had a couple. He's yeah, it isn't that. So Lyme symptoms are hard to diagnose, especially in the absence of a test. And women sometimes, well, women get diagnosed more with psychosomatic stuff. Oh, there it is. Because, because their you know, because of their hormone cycles, their immune systems are stronger and weaker up and down and up and down. Mm. Also, women are more likely to go to a doctor and say, I feel bad. Men like to soldier on it's just i think and not complain yay, yay culture <laughs> yay yeah. culture for convincing us that's an idea on man days where they were hunting for meat and they couldn't say oh, oh i got a nail <laughs> well i i think but but culture does that right culture's like you men buck up and carry on you know they, i i've heard that like real men don't cry kind of stuff they don't want yeah but, but the other thing is, I'm in this nonprofit now, it's Invisible International, and our job is to publish free continuing medical education about flea and tick-borne diseases. And I hang out with these doctors, they're the clinicians on the front line, and they're as frustrated as anybody. And it's just hard now because they have, they're allowed 13 minutes to, at yeah. the institutions to, to do an intake. Everything, Yeah. And insurance companies and the institutions are saying, you can't prescribe all those antibiotics. And they don't have good tests. They wish they did. So I have so much empathy for doctors and they don't like the healthcare system as it is right now, any more no, than the patients no. do. As a matter of fact, I, they see it so up, up close, right? They see it so closely. Amanda Johnson asks, um, is Lyme becoming antibiotic resistant or is it just the nature of these, uh, you were saying it has, you know, so many ways of morphing. Has it always been antibiotic resistant? Someone did a study on that and it isn't becoming more antibiotic resistant because okay. it just has so many tricks up its sleeve. It, okay. It's so just, here, it's always been that way. Here's yeah. just a few of the tricks. So the tick bites you and the saliva of the tick suppresses your immune system for a week. So these corkscrew like spirochetes have a week to get over where they're going to get, they get out of the blood, uh, the bloodstream as soon as possible. And they dig down into tissue where there isn't much blood. So it might be your knee, you know, tennis elbow where you have scar tissue or knee with scar tissue or in your brain, which is protected by the blood brain barrier and your immune system, big white cells can't get in there. Otherwise your head would explode. <laughs> so, so it, so it hides. Number one, it hides. Number two, once it gets to where it's going, it loses its spirochete form and it becomes a very small, slow metabolizing cyst. And you, okay. You know, the antibiotics can't get to it. It's not reproducing. So most antibiotics work by disrupting the cell wall when it splits into two. Very mm -hmm. simple bacteria to split into two. But there's the worst trick of Borrelia, and that is biofilms. It sort of has rave parties where all the spirochetes <laughs> get into a ball and they coat themselves with the slime. And then they can exchange their little genetic material, the plasmids Ooh. he was talking about. Fun. And so they can mutate faster than a you know like one back normal bacteria just divides in two and this if they're clones this one's like that one 
but when they get in the big balls, it's just like the genetic variations are amazing. It's like, oh, great. So right. It's like I, a spirochetal rave. I wish we would have known that fact beforehand. That would have made a great peculiar sketch. It would have been a great, it would have been, <laughs> I know. Um, actually, that makes me, I have a question that is actually, Catherine's question is similar. Um, it is, it sounds like COVID in a lot of ways. And she's wondering, will the incidence of Lyme diagnosis drop as incidence of COVID diagnosis goes up since they present similarly? Is it possible that you're going to get this overlap where you don't know your husband has both, but is it possible that some people will not know they've got both? I think definitely. So when COVID started, everybody's at home, they're walking their dog outside more in the swishy grasses. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of them, I think this is just conjecture, but a lot of them got Lyme and they didn't know it. It seemed like COVID and they went in and got the COVID test and, you know, it was negative. And then there, I mean, there are some overlaps with a chronic disease, whatever it is, which is chronic inflammation a lot of the tick-borne diseases do make your vascular system inflamed. Right. Your veins get swollen. You're not getting good circulation in your brain. Mm -hmm. creates all sorts of issues. Anther girls like human flea and tick collars for everyone. <laughs> that, yeah, that seems like that would be helpful in a way. I mean, I know we have things that you can, there's things you can put on your skin that supposedly uh, helps, but it doesn't always help. Um, I'm just catching up with comments. I was over on the other screen and I, I, I see Susan Ballinger, my comment about um, men toughing it out. <laughs> She's like, have you ever met a man with a cold? <laughs> you're right. You're, I, you're right. You're right. Well, I, I guess I have N equals one in my husband. Anth he, Anthro I'm girl was on that too. Yeah. Was she? <laughs> yeah. My experience at the orthopedist office, men are much worse. <laughs> um, so I hate to do this to you, Brandy. I have to play producer, and I think we have some things to announce, don't we? We do. We do. <laughs> Those we things do. that go at the beginning of the show? <laughs> Only right, 55 right. minutes in. I've, yes. Okay. But you guys are, you're with us, and, and you're, 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 you're ready, right? So now they're ready. Yeah, I was just prepping them for the announcements. This is our first show. I wanted to kind of warm them up. Okay. Announcements. <laughs> uh, first of all, I, I want to remind you guys about the ways that we connect um, here on Peculiar Book Club. And let me explain how things have changed slightly. So before we we did everything through Eventbrite, except Eventbrite is awful and terrible and annoying. And so we don't do that that way anymore. Instead, uh, there the live links to the Facebook Live or on Facebook, you can get to it there. We have some people viewing from Facebook tonight. In fact, Daniel is, I think. Um, but to get the live links to the YouTube shows, you really are better off being part of our newsletter. So if you go to our website, you will find all these ways of connecting with us. It's a Facebook page, a Facebook group. There's also the newsletter. If you sign up for the newsletter, you will hear about everything else. So it's a really, really great way to get in touch with us. The other thing is we have a YouTube channel and I keep forgetting to promote the YouTube. You're on it technically right now. Like people are going to see that you were talking here. Um, but this YouTube channel, you can subscribe to. And then you find out whenever videos post. So if for some reason you missed a show, you'll be you'll get the announcement and you subscribing to the show actually helps us too so don't forget about these ways to connect it really helps uh helps us keep you in the loop so number two second one there it is um we do have patreons and v vips some of our shows not very many of them almost all of them are free some of them are not the next time we have a show on the 26th of January with Kat Warren. That is a VIP and Patreon only show. So if you want to see that one and you're not 
a Patreon or a VIP, please go ahead and and sign up to our Patreon. Um, there are several levels that you can sign up under. Cat uh, Warren is great. She's the one who did What the Dog Knows. We're going to talk about cadaver dogs and stuff like finding teeth and bones. It's 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 right up our alley, right? It's like graves, dogs. It couldn't be couldn't be better. So please make yeah. sure that you you support us. It was really cool. All right, next. We also still sell merch. I always forget to talk about that too. But like, you just want a giant squid on a t-shirt that says, I wouldn't know I was weird if it weren't for other people. We've got that. And you might want to buy it. So Now, here's the exciting part. And actually, I think the one that ended up winning was Bug Bite. So in honor of your book, Chris, we create cocktails. We create talk, not we actually, Catherine, Kat, our, our drinks maven, our cocktail maven cat. She is the one who creates these wonderful concoctions. The, uh, this one is like a take on a snake bite. And it's, uh, it's very different though. It's a half pint of your favorite lager, half a pint of blackberry apple cider, two ounces of root beer. And it's really, really interesting and amazing and kind of refreshing. And I believe that uh, what we won uh, the name that one is Bug Bite instead of Tick Tick Boom, which is also fun. I love Tick Tick Boom. <laughs> so is it also a tick repellent? It's like it work that way. It certainly should work that way. Damn it, that would kind of be awesome. <laughs> Um, also just reminding all of you, we have a discord. We're not actually doing discord tonight, but, um, we will be doing discord in the future because in the future, we're going to have some authors that are going to join us on the discord. We just didn't quite get it rolling yet, but, uh, stay tuned for that. And, um, I think that's it. Is that it, Davey? Oh no, that's not it. There is more content coming your way, Peculiars. We told you about it back in December. We are launching the Peculiar Movie Club which will be a movie that ties in via theme to a book. (laughs) So this one is in honor of Chris's book, Bitten. We are doing a zombie movie 28 days later. I'm bringing in that film. I love it. Oh, excellent. Would you say that the themes in Bitten might overlap with a zombie film a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's there. I see it. They do refer to them in the movie as the infected. I'll give you a little uh, yes. tease in where we're going with this. So uh, I'm bringing in uh, my old podcasting partner. We used to do a movie podcast together called the No Meh Movies Podcast, which is still out there, still available if you want to listen to me and Darren Cross break down some crazy meh movies. Um, but now <laughs> we're meh. turning our focus. <laughs> we're turning our focus. So the movie will always relate to one of the books that month. So uh, this will drop usually the week in between our shows. So January 19th, early in the morning, uh, this will drop. And for our YouTubers, this is for our podcasters. Everyone, all of you who listen via podcast, you're all set. This is just going to show up in your feed. Uh, for all of our YouTubers, you got to go find us on any podcasting app. Anchor, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify. Uh, Spotify, we're, Spotify. We're there. We're all over. We're there. It, so. We're there. Sadie Simmons is like, movie club, movie club, movie club. Yeah. Uh, this TV one might be a little hard to find. If You might have to rent this one maybe or something like that. I, I'm going to try to find ones that are streaming on some streaming service so it's a little bit easy to watch. And then you can enjoy our very, very detailed conversation about the movie and the themes. You know, I think romance in a tick world. You never, never know where one might be. There's lots of places <laughs> that are hard to reach. I'd like to check you for ticks. <laughs> I love the opening. I love the opening scene where there's no one in London. 
It's yeah. great. And it's crazy how they filmed it too. We get into the details of that. I mean, that's awesome. Oh, so you guys, please, um, also on our website, you, you have a way of getting to our podcast. So please listen to our podcast. Um, you can subscribe to that too. Honestly, you can subscribe to us everywhere. It's kind of magical. I have a sub stack and on the sub stack, you get previews of the books that are coming up. So I previewed Chris's book. I just recently previewed uh, The Smell of Death, uh, talking about cadaver dogs. That's right up my street anyway. <laughs> so, so please don't miss out these other opportunities to get weird with us. Um, speaking of getting weird, are you ready for the quiz? I think we're ready for our first quiz right. of the year. Chris, right. are you first ready? Quiz. I'm ready. I did give her a so little So is warning. the quiz only for me or for the commenters? Too? Well, you are the official answerer of the quiz, but they are going to help you out. The Peculiars will help you out. So pay attention to the chat. And, you know, I had a hard time. I had a hard time this week because your book, there's not many happy threads to pull from your book. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about bugs, and you know, bugs aren't all bad. There are some happy bugs uh, in pop culture. In fact, there's a ton of them. So uh, the quiz this week is called A Bug's Life. Uh-huh. And I'm going to ask you about some pop culture bugs, and uh, we'll see we'll see what you can come up with, what the peculiar oh know. So, of course, I had to start with the tick. I had to start with the superhero, the tick. <laughs> I love this. The uh, the parody oh superhero, The Tick, has many odd quirks, including his nonsensical battle cry. And I'll try to my best battle cry for you. Fork! <laughs> is it B, spoon? Or is it C, ladle? <laughs> what do you think, The Tick? I know the answer to this one, and so does Kristen and Stephanie. <laughs> but you're the official answer. <laughs> I don't know. A fork sounds best, but I didn't. I didn't watch the movie The Tick. Oh, it was a I, I was book. A, it was a TV a show with Patrick Warburton. Yeah, it's it's been all over. Uh, it started as a uh, a comic book to promote a comic shop, like a local yes. comic shop. So yes, very indeed. It does. All right. I, I I love The Tick. He's so crazy dumb. I love it. Okay. <laughs> all right. You're saying it's spoon. Why spoon? There it is, is a no, nonsensical battle cry. There's no reason. <laughs> there's no reason for anything that happens. One of his enemies is Chairface, which is a man whose head is a chair. There's <laughs> no reason for anything to happen in this comic. <laughs> All right. Final answer from Chris. What do you think? A, B, or C? Well, I thought it was fork, but the the peanut gallery says spoon. The answer is spoon. Spoon. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy Sorry. dumb is the best. Kristen says crazy dumb is the best description <laughs> of this character. Yes, I know. I love right. this character so. We're much. moving on to a different genre okay. here. We're moving okay. on. You, this is a classic character. You, of course, you can't talk bugs without Jiminy Cricket. That's that's now, true. You mostly remember Jiminy Cricket from Pinocchio, but as an iconic Disney character, he also starred in Mickey's Christmas Carol as a the Ghost of Christmas Past, b the co- the Ghost of Christmas Future, or c Tiny Tim. I never saw this one. What do you think they would have cast Jiminy Cricket as? In I have ideas. Carol. I think it's A, past. She's going past? the ghost of Christmas past. Peculiar right. in the chat here. They're, they're a few seconds behind us, you know, internet delays yeah. and stuff like that. So we'll we'll give them a second to uh, catch I think, up. I think Facebook is a few seconds behind too. We, that's one of the one of the down, uh, downsides is that um, they're always just a, like seven seconds off. <laughs> Boy, nobody's guessing no, no, this no, one. Nobody's guessing. All right. All right. I, there I, we go. Kristen's in on it. Kristen says A. I don't know. It feels like it should be Tiny Tim, but I never saw it, so I don't know. Stephanie the says answer, A. 
Zuzu Sunshine. The answer is, and Chris guessed A. The answer is yes. The ghost <gasps> of Christmas it? past. But yes. He's small. It seems like he should have been Tiny Tim. He is. They make a joke about that in the movie, apparently. <laughs> but uh, he's he is Disney's conscience, right? He plays Pinocchio's oh. conscience, so that's why right. he's okay. in the role of the ghost of Christmas. Got it. Got it. All right. Your final question in the peculiar quiz: Flick from A Bug's Life is an invent is an ant who's also an inventor. The first invention in the movie we see is A, a seed counting machine, B, a steam-powered plow, or C, an automatic grain harvester. Hmm. Of course, you know, a bug, the, the quiz was called A Bug's Life. I couldn't leave out Flick. Right. Uh, Flick the, only has four legs and has always bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> Who pulled off his other two? The same with Jiminy Cricket, right? That's uh, true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, I get that from the tick because, of course, he makes no sense. But all right, so Stephanie I, says C. I'm thinking it's C too because there's a certain kind of seed-carrying ant, and he yeah. would want more grain. Yeah, he would. Well, he says, all right, the final answer Teresa is C. You are correct. It is an right. automatic yeah, grain versus, harvester. Hey, a little bit Which behind the, the the hand here, but everybody actually went with that one, and I did go. not know. I was like seed counting. I don't know. I even saw that movie. <laughs> it was it was really hard to come up with the fake answers for this one. I, I stared at the screen for a while, like what what would be the the uh, really yeah. good questions? They're super hard. <laughs> I know they always are. The only time he was ever thwarted, and Davy was thwarted hard. Yeah, was when we did the Mooter Museum <laughs> because he asked questions about Philadelphia and some Philly girls. From Philly girls. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't actually get a word in edgewise the rest of the show. It was just comments I, about Philadelphia. I try not to make it too hard, but yeah, I kind of am all over the place sometimes with the quizzes. The Peculiars <laughs> were on it, though. They were, they were on, on it. it. Yeah, trust were, in the Peculiars. They'll, they'll never lead you astray. Yes, I'm pretty sure there was no actual scientific reasoning behind that movie's decision. Now, you're probably right. You're pro so, what, so what bothered me about that, though, is the grasshoppers or locusts or whatever they were they had all the legs they had all the legs but the mm. ants only had four legs and i was like so either some mean kid came along and ripped off the two legs of all the ants in the colony or yeah, yeah. i was distressed i was the queen wasn't fat enough either i was though the show that weirds me out the most is rango where you've got lizards and rabbits and bugs and they're all the same size and it drives me nuts <laughs> sorry tangent i'm autistic it's not my fault <laughs> <laughs> who knows maybe we'll get to one of those movies on the peculiar movie Rango? Club one day. Oh, that's um, ooh, i'll have to think about that one um so we are we are actually a little over time we're at the end of our show however i just want to say um i have really enjoyed having on the show i feel like we barely duck even dipped our toe in the the waters of conspiracy that we could talk about when it comes to governments doing experiments on well, i do talk about the bat bomb the bat bomb there's a book about it even so there is this crazy dentist named. Do we have time for this? It's just, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, go, course, go. Bat bomb, yeah, go. We're ready. Was yeah, bomb. Doc Adams. And after Pearl Harbor happened, he got really patriotic and he says, We need something to kill those Japs. So <laughs> he had this idea where you glue uh, it, uh, an inflammatory device uh, on the chest. Like, as in, like, making bats, fire device. Without, like, uh, it explodes got it time device that explodes the bat bomb yeah there, there it is what so 
it they they have this bomb that holds a thousand bats in 23 trays they look like ice ice cube trays and they take the bats in them and they put oh them in the refrigerator and they go into hibernation then they load it into this big bomb looks like you know the manhattan project bomb and they drop it out of a plane at a certain altitude it explodes and the bats wake up because they realize they're falling from the sky and <laughs> i don't think this is part of it and then they go into the rafters of Japanese houses, which are largely wood oh. rice paper. And then in 30 minutes, they explode. The bat gives their life to create a firebomb in a Japanese village. So that was the theory. So they tested it in New, New Mexico, and then uh, it accidentally burned half the base down so that they decided it wasn't a good idea. There's and so I, much going on here. So I apologize to the to our audio listeners. We were pulling up photos of it the whole time. So uh, Google it. Google image search. Bat bomb. Yeah. So anyway, I have, anyways, so, many, I have so many questions. I mean, first of all, yes, it's horrible as and like I hate this. I did this to the poor bats, but also I have so many questions. Like, what? Like, if they're in hibernate? Oh, I have a lot of questions. But also, did the Bats conspire to blow up the base. I just wonder, because I feel like that would be correct. There'd be the bats being like, no way are we taking part in this. We're going to burn this base down. Well, they glued the bomb, and then there was a little wire. And uh -huh. when the bats woke up and flew off, the wire pulled off, and then that set the timer on their bomb. It's an incendiary device. It, there was napalm in it. That's oh. what worked the best. So, anyways, no. I, wait, I, I just was saving that because when people... <laughs> There's still some people that say we didn't weaponize ticks. And so I just say, well, there were even weirder ideas. There, there were even weirder bomb. ideas. There was a dolphin wow. bomb. There was a conch There was a dolphin bomb. bomb. Of course there was a dolphin bomb. And there oh was my gosh. a feather bomb. When, histoplas when histoplasmic pneumonia was right there. <laughs> Pretty sure that was on Mysteries at the Museum. Um, I know so many weird things and I didn't know that. And like, you've given me such a gift now, Chris, I didn't know about the bat bomb. And I feel like, I feel so moved. <laughs> this no, almost never I, happened. That was the most peculiar bomb. And I thought your audience needs to know about the bat bomb. Yeah, We needed to know about that. There was no squid bomb, I guess. Cause I feel like that would have been the only thing to trump the bat bomb. The conch They could have carried eight bombs. At the conch shell bomb. Well, there, there is that. They were trying eight to assassinate bombs. Fidel Castro and he liked to the dive. So they thought, oh. well, can we put a bomb inside of a beautiful conch shell and put it where it usually dives? And when he picks it up, that's crazy. This is, this is like Looney Tunes S. It is Looney Tunes level. It's 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 like Wiley e. Coyote's ideas yeah. for things. <laughs> so now Amanda Johnson's kicks sounds like eh. Yeah, like rain of fleas. What's that? Amanda Johnson says we need a disease that activates when these people's brains come up with these ideas. <laughs> um it Chris, I I have to ask. I have to slide this in. I, I got to come for some closure on the book because you mentioned twice <laughs> in the book that people warned you, including I think your dad, to be careful that these are the kind of books that get people killed. Are, are you safe? <laughs> and you know, are you wanted by the CIA right now? Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. We should know this, like I'm because sure the peculiar will come to your defense. I'm sure I'm on some NSA screening thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to someone, I was talking to an editor and I mentioned General Flynn and Deep State and our Zoom got disconnected. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 
Oh. If I had a way of doing a little like cracked screen right now, I totally would. But I <laughs> just so, as a joke. So let me say during that part of the Cold War where it was the Manchurian candidate and Sid Gottlieb. I don't know if you've had anybody on about Sid Gottlieb. He was the evil mad scientist in the CIA who was at mm. Fort Hitler too. So he's the one that did the mind control experiments with the LSD. Oh, right. Yeah. So around that time, the people in the bioweapons program, there were some experiments overseas that gave the foot soldiers and the officers a crisis of conscience. And wow. after that, a lot of those scientists, the ones with loose lips, would fall out of windows of buildings. So anyways, oh, there's a whole, there's just like at least about 10 or so mysterious deaths and mm. uh, suicides. Like, for example, when they were interrogating the Japanese after World War II for their human experimentation using insects and horrible germs and frostbite, there were the people that translated that, a couple of those people ended up in hotel rooms with suicides. So, so anyways, oh, my dad geez. from that generation and the, some of my sources who were in the intelligence world were warning me to watch your back. That's terrifying. Hmm. Well, we have your back. We have your back. We have a squid mascot. We, there's eight arms defending you right now. <laughs> so much safer now. <laughs> it, it, it is an amazing book for any of you who have not yet purchased it um, if you're in the UK our UK bookshop is Fox Lane Books and they have uh, sig signed copies and what's on the signature card? a squid yes it's so cool <laughs> So just for us. Uh, so you can buy that at Foxline Books. If you are in the US, our bookstore here is Loganberry Books, and they also have this, uh, signature, the cool signature cards. And I kept a few for myself. So if you run out and you need one, I've got them. Um, it's amazing. Don't miss this book. It, there's so much more going on than we could possibly talk about tonight. It was really, really awesome. Yeah, I so. feel like we barely got into the spy angle. And I know. There was all this other stuff. This yeah. show is never long enough. The red, oh. the love, the mating dance of the red mites. That was my favorite. <laughs> that was pretty great. I feel like there's just so many things that, so many band names um, in this book. Like mating dance of the red mites. That's just right there. That ought to be a band name. And it, it's really great. Um, and the squid, the squid is our murder squad. There we go. Murder squid. We will, we will defend you. Everyone says we, um, we really appreciated having you on. We'd love to have you back again. We do love a repeat. And so we hope that you will join us again. If you are writing another book in the future, I think you will. Yeah, it's right so, up your alley. The next book is right up your alley. Very, very good. This was, the, it, was a, it was a fascinating talk and it was a fascinating read. I'm so glad that we read it, says Kristen Meston. So again, please buy, buy the book if you haven't already. We, we have the nameplates. We're glad you're here. Welcome to our first show of the season. What an amazing, fun, crazy, peculiar season we have for you at a place where, if you're weird, your family. And music by the Mary Lou's. You know, you I don't. Give me, give me two chords. Just two chords. Let's do a peculiar song on the spot. Peculiar 
you like, that you read, and that you think. And maybe a little drink that you have. It's not quite the same as your friend or your parents or, you know, your significant other or others. But you're peculiar in your own way. There's a song. There's a song. It's a song. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. I ain't gonna feed it, so take it or leave it. I ain't gonna need it, so take it or leave it. Good boy. You got the blue bottle blues when you wake up in the night. Don't make a big mistake because you can never make it right. Your back. There is no, no antidote.